I learned some amazing things about fire ants this week. Apparently for years, um, scientists were baffled by the mystery of floating fire ants. You see, when a single fire ant is placed in water, uh, an individual ant will flounder and struggle and eventually sink and die. But when the fire ants band together, they form life rafts that help them survive the flash floods of the Brazilian rainforests. See them? That's, that, those, those are fire ants. And as a unified raft, they can even travel for months, months before reaching land, dry land. An article in the LA Times summarized a new research study that has unlocked the secret of this natural mystery. After collecting a bunch of ants, scientists drop them into containers of water. The ants quickly spread out and form themselves into rafts. Each individual ant uses its claws and adhesive, adhesive pads on their legs to grip onto each other. One researcher said, At first it just looks like a tangle of bodies and limbs everywhere, but, no, but the longer you look at the picture, the more you are able to distinguish between different body parts and see the connection. Then the insects use air pockets that form around their bodies to keep themselves afloat. The article concluded, quote, The research sheds light on how deeply social insects act together, almost as if they're part of a superorganism. As one scientist said, the individuals acting together create this awareness of the environment that no individual ant has. Let me say that again. The individuals acting together create this awareness of the environment that no individual ant has. Well, I read that and I said to myself, that preaches. That's what pastors say when they read a story like that. They say, that preaches. And some of you say, we get it already, you can stop. But I'm going to keep going. So anyway, um, I said, that preaches. In fact, you might even say that this, this fired me up. <clears throat> Fire ants fired me up. But seriously, it made me think of the church, it made me think of the community of faith and our need to be connected to fellow believers in order to survive and grow spiritually. Alone, we can sink. But clinging and growing together in Christ, we can ride out any storm. We've been visiting, as I said, different parts of Acts chapter 2, uh, which is the story of Pentecost and the beginnings of the church and how they were, uh, they were moving forward in hope empowered by the Spirit. And as we come to Acts chapter 2 in the passage that Lois just read, we get this snapshot, this glimpse of the early church, in a sense maybe even a summary of what was going on as it connected and as they seriously were fired up as a church. The Holy Spirit had come and filled them and they were fired up as a church. They were full of promise and hope. So we want to say this, that the early church moved forward with great hope because they were experiencing the generous outpouring of God's presence, power, and goodness. These few verses at the end of Acts 2 as they reveal the church deepening and growing together, can serve to fire us up as well as we move forward in hope. We move forward in hope as we're experiencing several things that I see here. We move forward in hope as we're experiencing a deepening discipleship. They did things that connected them deeper as disciples. They did things that connected them as a community then, a connected community. And they did things that made them experience goodwill among the people and literally growth of the church a deepening discipleship. These were new believers and they are practicing the important disciplines that will take them deeper into their walk in Christ, not only increasing their knowledge but forming their lives as followers. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching which points to our need to always be learning. For them at that time in history, that more than likely consisted of all that the disciple, all that the Jesus had taught to the disciples. 
The apostles were teaching the early church. They were telling them all the key parts of the gospel about the life of Jesus, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. It was a unique teaching. There was nothing else like this. And this teaching that they gave had authority. Those who were teaching it had literally witnessed and experienced this. They had been with Jesus, and God had moved in them, and they knew that it was true. God had given them this authority to teach. This teaching, was, of course, was eventually written down and comes to us in the New Testament. One commentator I read noted that the scriptures become the objective basis for the subjective experience of being together. You know, it just feels good and we have this sense of community, but the scriptures give us an objective basis of what God is doing as he builds a community to explain who we are. I think of what Apostle Paul a little later reminded Timothy in his second letter to him. He said, from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It was a word of authority. It was a word of instruction that was being given. And these early disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were in the word, always learning, but also here is their devotion to fellowship. And by this I mean fellowship really in its fullest sense. I mean, fellowship really is our our simple gathering together of of visiting and eating and what you do in the narthex afterwards as we chat. I mean, that's, that's part of fellowship, but it's not the fullness of fellowship. We do that part pretty well, but the Greek word used here takes it even further. It implies a a deepness of connection, kind of like those fire ants with all their prickly little sticky bodies. It, It takes it to a deeper place of connection, and it points here to corporate worship. Fellowship here included worshiping together, not just having coffee after, although that's still important too. It's a connection that the Holy Spirit creates and empowers. But it takes our effort to stay connected, to live into that fellowship. So it takes our devotion. They devoted themselves to fellowship in the fullest sense. It mentions it says fellowship and the breaking of bread here. Obviously sharing meals as part of, of a, a fellowship. But some scholars believe that this is actually a reference to the Lord's Supper. The word simply means breaking bread. It means, means meals. But the context in this listing with these other disciple-deepening activities have led most Bible scholars to conclude that it's a reference to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was very significant in the life of the early church. And it is now, too, or ought to be now. It was a command of Christ. It was an actual time when Jesus was with his disciples and, and, and literally handed a physical thing to them of bread and the cup that connected with him. And so it was this deep connection to the person of Christ and the command of Christ that the Lord's Supper was part of every time of worship together. It was this corporate connection together. And unfortunately for us as Protestants 2,000 years ago, we, we, we created this thing where we, we overreacted to our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters where we felt like they went too far of identifying communion too much with a literal body. And so Protestants, as we often do, and as we swing all the way other, and sometimes we drained out the fullness of meeting and said it's just a symbol It's just a symbol of Jesus. It's not just a symbol of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is this response to the command of Christ. It's our entering into the presence of Christ. Jesus shows up in a a grace-filled way when we share the Lord's Supper. That's the breaking of the bread. That's fellowship at its deepest place. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to prayer. 
Luke, who wrote the letter or the book of Acts, will continue to highlight and emphasize the importance of prayer in the early church community all through his book. What he describes really is a praying church, which would be in contrast to a church that prays from time to time. In Acts 1-4, we see them all gathered together, praying together. In Acts 3-1, this is Peter and John going to the temple every single day to be in a time of prayer. In Acts chapter 6, this is where the apostles set aside a group of people that they were, they were getting overwhelmed. And so they appointed a group of the very first deacons and deaconesses to care for those in need. And then they said this of themselves. They said, brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And then we, apostles, will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of word. It was that important. They were not going to be too busy to pray, as they turn their attention to prayer. Acts chapter 10 tells the wonderful story of Cornelius, this man who was not yet a believer, and yet God was wooing him, and he's described as a person of prayer. And in Acts 12, Peter is in prison, and it explains how the church prayed earnestly for God to release him. William Barclay says, they knew, this early church knew that they could not meet life in their own strength, and that they did not need to. They always went into God before they went out to the world. I like that. They went into God before they went out to the world. They were able to meet the problems of life because they had first met with him. So theirs was a deepening discipleship. Theirs was also a connected community. Not just connected because they were good friends and had common interests. They were connected because they were, first of all, they were experiencing God at work in some powerful kinds of ways. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It's easy to skip this one. Unless you're a Pentecostal, this is your favorite one. Because this idea that God continues to work this way is so real to us. Sometimes we as more conservative Protestants want to kind of say, well, that was then that God moved in amazing ways. And now he just moves in quieter ways. But this, this was really happening. And it still happens. God was changing and transforming lives before their very eyes. God was healing people in front of their very eyes. God was setting people free from pain and brokenness of their past. Sick people were being healed. Broken relationships were being restored. And it was amazing. It was awesome. It said they were in awe. This is where the word really has meaning. They were in awe, filled with awe by the ways God was working among them. It was real, and it affirmed their faith, and it connected them. In that day, it moved them to worship together. They were filled with awe. They were worshiping regularly. It says that they met every day in the temple. Now, it's good to mention at this point, this this list of stuff happening here at the end of Acts, um, uh, two key words here are descriptive and prescriptive. You know the difference? Descriptive says, describes what the church was doing then. Prescriptive says, we better do all that stuff now too. The problem is, down through the ages, churches have picked parts of that that they want to do. Well, we'll do, the, we'll do that awe, signs and wonders and awe thing. We'll do the go to church everything, day, day thing. Some go to that really scary, live communally, give up all your resources and share with each other. Oh, we, won't really, we don't need to take that necessarily. So, so we kind of take these things is prescriptive. This is, this is what was going on then. And it provides some encouragement for us now. They were going to the temple every day. Does this mean we should go to church every day? Well, I do, but your lives are different from mine. I don't go to, to worship every day. Seriously. 
They were keeping the Jewish practices for that time and that place. For them, it was a place of uh, connecting. But what's more important is what is describing and pointing to is about a, a consistency, a, a, a regularity to their worship together. Not just personal worship, but worship together. It underscores that importance of, of being here as often and as regularly as we can. And I, I don't want to go too far into a guilt trip about inconsistent worship because, man, has it gone crazy the last 10 to 20 years. Our lives have become so complicated and so many other things have invaded Sunday mornings. I know that uh, now they say, for somebody to say they're a regular church attender is at least once a month. That doesn't mean you just got off the hook if you're coming more than off than that, okay? But, uh, but it just, it, 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 we are, when you come here, you may decide that you get something out of it or you don't get something out of it or it was good today or it was boring today. That's only part of what happened. You are an encouragement to each other. Pick yourself as creepy little fire ants sticking together to ride this thing out and to find strength together. They were worshiping regular that connected them in community. I see even more compelling here, though, is their, their care for each other. They were there for each other, sharing, caring, supporting. Back to those fire ants stuck together in the flood. Seriously, they had an intense feeling of responsibility for each other. They couldn't bear the thought of any of their own going without when they had plenty. It has to do with financial resources and things needed to live. But it would even be as these Stephen ministers were commissioned to realize where God has moved in their life and then a responsibility and a desire and a calling to share that with others who are kind of floating down the Amazon on the same life raft. This is another case of the descriptive and prescriptive. Their sharing of their resources here, buying and selling, is a description of what goes on. There are some Christians down through the years who have decided to move into, voluntarily to move into Christian community. I drop into Jesus People USA about once a month because I go see a friend of mine there, Neil Taylor, who started it over 40 years ago. And JPUSA is a, a, a Christian community on the north side of Chicago. And when you become part of that community, you sell everything and all of your resources go there. The Chapusa runs ministries together. All the money comes into one pot and it's shared among the community of about, it's about 400 people in Uptown in Chicago, not out on some crazy hippie farm somewhere, but in the city of Chicago. And it, it works. It's been working for over 40 years. Reba Place in Evanston is another one that has persisted and lived on from the days of the uh, Jesus people back in the 60s and 70s. Now, we don't have to do that, but we can learn something from that in terms of a commitment to each other. But I think it's even more of a challenge for us now. It's a different world that we live in now. We are so individualistic. And our prosperity and our technologies has made it even harder for us to connect well. We don't think we need each other as much when we have what we need to live and to do life and to do our jobs but we become more isolated and alone, even when we're members of a faith community. That's where our small groups become so important, and when they go to that place of getting really real, we're sharing the deep needs and sharing the struggles together, and it's happening in our groups right now. These are the ways that we press into this sharing and caring. It's a great challenge to us in this day and age. But as we move forward in hope, we want to experience this deepening discipleship, this connection and community, but also, actually, I want to share one other thing. Um, 
I'm preaching from paper today, which is just so 20th century. Um, our internet is down here in the church. Another very 20th century thing, Megan and I still just subscribe to a paper newspaper. And um, I was reading this morning, and act, this is today's paper. This is the lifestyle, and I just, it says on the front, it says choosing happiness, so I thought that sounded like a good idea. And then when I uh, looked inside, uh, that was another article, but right inside is an article about Sheryl Sandberg. Some of you know Sheryl Sandberg's name. She was with Google for several years, is now CEO of uh, Facebook. Um, me thinks her salary has several figures to it. But that's not the point. She lost her husband suddenly uh, a couple years ago, and uh, she found herself in sort of a tailspin, and she went for some help, and she found the need to build... This, the title of this article is Building Resilience Through Community. Building Resilience Through Community. Now, this is secular research. But she went to a counselor, a psychologist, uh, this, um, a guy from the Wharton School of Business, and he told Sandberg to think of resilience as a muscle that we build, not a fixed trait. Oh, some people are just so resilient. He says it's a muscle that can be built, not just a fixed trait. And then she says later, the more we started reading, the more we started studying and talking about this, the more we realized the heart of resilience is actually community, a group of people who make each other stronger. It goes on. You can find it online as well. But I think that idea that even secular research discovers, which is embedded in the way that we have been created in the image of God, that we need to stick together like a bunch of creepy fire ants. Resilience is a muscle to be strengthened, and we do that in Christian community. Well, these people were doing it back there in the early church, when the church was only weeks, weeks old, days old. And, as they, and, the, and the scripture goes on to say that they, they grew in, 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 people noticed them. They grew in goodwill, and they grew in, in numbers as well. It was goodwill and growth. The glimpse we get of this early church is that they are, they are hanging out together and they really like it. They really like being together. You know, I, I can't go into too much. I, I have a little bit of a young life history myself. I came to Christ through the ministry of Young Life, the campus ministry, back when I was a, a high school sophomore. And I'm so grateful to them for reaching out to me. Years later, I had the privilege of being a supervisor for a Young Life intern when I was serving a church in Massachusetts. And I would ask him, I'd say, what did you guys do today? He goes, oh, what do you do in Young Life these days? He goes, we just hang out. I mean, it was the only thing he could tell me, that all they do in Young Life is hang out. And then I got together with a group of pastors in, in Tucson for years, and one of them was the local Young Life guy. And I said, what do you guys do in Young Life now? He goes, we just hang out. Well, they don't just hang out. <laughs> they go deep, but it's those connections of, of enjoying each other and being together, sharing activities together, and then allowing God to take them to those deeper places of growth together. And this early church was hanging out, and they were enjoying each other. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, not stressing over the calorie count or the gluten level. Of, no, it doesn't say that. But anyway, they, they just they had fun together. And then it says they were praising God and enjoying the favor or the goodwill of all the people. And that's why I say, imagine a winsome and inviting community. I could use two of my favorite words in my sermon today, winsome and wooing, and that's coming in a little while. They were winsome. Do you know what winsome means? It means generally pleasing and engaging, often because of a childlike charm and innocence. Isn't that great? Winsome. There's something encouraging and, and pleasant about people who like to be together and have deep bonds and connections. 
people liked them and were drawn to them. We have as part of our vision statement here, imagine an inviting community. The verb means that we would invite others into this, and that's the wooing part to come. But it also is an adjective that describes us as an inviting, winsome people. Look around. It's a pretty good group, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, we can work on it, but, but this is what God uses. You are a good group. You are winsome. People come and visit and say there's something about it. Every church is friendly, of course, but you take it another, another step. You are an inviting group of people. You are a winsome group of people. And it comes as we get to know each other and we build connections. And our connections are based on sharing some of those difficulties of life instead of who can outdo who. We're done with that. We don't need that. My friend Diane Qualiana, how do you describe yourself? A recovering what? A recovering perfectionist. Go, Diane. (laughs) We're all recovering from something, aren't we? You know, that actually makes us more winsome when we're honest about it. So let's do that. Imagine and winsome and inviting community. And finally, the text closes and says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God doing the work and God doing the wooing. God added to the day. Not them just recruiting and pulling people in. That was part of it. But God was doing the work. Remember our bless initiative during Lent? We're going to keep bringing that thing back. What did the B stand for? It said for begin with prayer and look for the ways that God is already at work in their life. God's already working. God's already wooing. We just get to come along and partner with him. And that's what was going on in the early church then and go on now. God is already at work. God is already building those connections for us and working through us. But our strength as community, our winsomeness and our inviting quality becomes part of that. Not just to get them into this building to park on one of these pews, but to get them eventually, ultimately, to the kingdom, right? I think if we think about it that way, we just might get a little more fired up rather than how can we add members? Or worse, how can we add members so we can afford this budget? Ooh. How can we add members to be part of what the kingdom work that's going on here? Well, then we'll have to fund that thing, but we'll, we'll get to that. We're praying about that. But more the sense of God working and God wooing and us partnering with him. I love this text. I love this picture of the church. I want to ask you with me to consider these qualities of the early church and ask you, which of the qualities of the early church that we see in this passage do you find most attractive? Which of these qualities do you find most attractive about that early church? What do you find most challenging? What do you find most challenging? And then finally, in terms of your responsibility, if this is your church home, in terms of your responsibility as part of this congregation, which of the qualities of the early church that we see in this passage do you feel most fired up to help happen in power here in our faith community? The things that draw us together and the things that make us more winsome and inviting are all tied together in the work that God is doing in our midst. The disciples, the new people in the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I invite Pastor Diana to join me at the communion table, and we're going to break bread. Just as Pastor Scott said, it is now our sacred privilege 
to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and enter into this fullest fellowship together. All who humbly trust, put their trust in Jesus Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life. All who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life, follow the commandments of God and walking from now on in his holy ways are invited to draw near with faith to receive this holy sacrament. Come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not, our Lord, not that our Lord Jesus, come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his truest disciple. Come not just because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, for the glory of your name. Amen. The word encourages us and says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Let's affirm together now the words, our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also hand on to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
Gracious God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit on these gifts and that you may be the sacrament of the body of Christ and the blood in the new covenant. Unite us to your Son in his death and resurrection that we, we may be acceptable through him. Being sanctified by the Holy Spirit in the fullness of time, put all things under subjection under your Christ and bring us to the heavenly feast where all, with all your saints we are gathered in glory everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord, the firstborn of all creation, the head of the church, the author of our salvation. Mm. By him and with him, And in him, the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Now let us pray together as Christ has taught us. Our Our Father, Father, who who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on him in your hearts with thanksgiving. Amen. The Board of Spiritual Life will come forward, and after they've taken communion, you can draw near with faith.